Welcome to the Loose Women in Pharma podcast, a place for inspiration, support and ideas to help shape how our industry evolves for womankind. Hello, this is Women in Pharma. I'm Miriam Kenrick. And I'm Sarah Salby. And we're back for podcast three. And today we're delighted to have a special guest joining us. Her name is Kate Hesk, and she is the founder and chief people officer for a company called Cognomy. And they're on a mission to help the world become more mentally fit to help drive performance um, ultimately. So, Kate, great to have you on the podcast. Um, Tell us a bit about yourself and, and your career journey so far. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you here today. Uh, Really grateful for the opportunity. So, uh, well, I started my career in pharmaceuticals. So spent my 20s and 30s in sales, marketing, general management, leadership roles across various pharma companies. At the time of mergers, it felt like every time I moved to an organization, it was uh, just about to merge. So, um, yeah, built my uh, career over those two uh, decades, I can't believe that's the case, but through sales, marketing, general management, um, and completed my MBA at the time. And towards the end of my 30s, when I was starting to think about settling down, and in fact, also uh, became pregnant with my first child, I became more and more interested in leadership, what it meant, what coaching was all about. And on reflection, how that had impacted me through my career till that point. Uh, So I took an opportunity to complete a master's in coaching and development and then stepped off the corporate um, wheel, let's say, and uh, and started uh, embarking on a career as as a coach and then building coaching and leadership consultancies from there. So built a global leadership consultancy, then moved into more um, social enterprise where I worked as a uh, building a, a social enterprise to bring coaching to young people to help young people make a difference. And then uh, five years ago, we had the idea to to launch Cognomi uh, with a mission, as you say, to build the mental fitness of the planet. Uh, By that, we mean uh, the psychological and emotional well-being of individuals, uh, enabling people to be at their best, which means enabling people to contribute into organisations but to live the life they want to live, to live it with with purpose. Um, So that was all pre-COVID and then COVID hit and the work we're doing, which is global coaching uh, through virtual conference really and through through virtual medium uh, became the way that everybody was organized. So uh, that's enabled us to do more of what we want to do. And, And the focus on mental fitness has become even more important, of course, um, through the last three years, as we've all sought to to be more emotionally and psychologically fit in the work that we do. Wow, that sounds like an amazing journey so far. And and yet, in many ways, you're still early days in in your journey of building the mental fitness of the world. I love that. Um, So, I mean, as a former women in pharma, like we are still today, what uh, were some of the challenges you faced along the way personally? Mm. Um, So, I mean, reflecting back on that time. So, as I said, it was in my 20s and 30s. So, in fact, it was a different era. I mean, it's really obvious to me Mm. that there's the pre-COVID era 
uh, and then there's pre that, which is what we're talking about here. But then there's the post-COVID era. So I'm really aware that that things have changed so much in the last five years. Um, but some of the challenges I faced back then were most definitely um, my career accelerating quite quickly, I'm pleased to say, um, and to a point where I was very often the only female in the room. Um, so, you know, operating, presenting into boards of male directors very often, um, interacting mostly uh, with men at senior levels. Um, and that was challenging, although I didn't really understand why or, or what it was that was the challenge to me at that time. Um, so that's one thing that maybe we could talk a bit more about. And then there's, there's the piece that I touched on earlier, which was that transition that I could see coming from me being on the, on the corporate career ladder to me wanting to do more of what was perhaps intrinsically more important to me, more purposeful to me and, and had more meaning and to then step into being a mother and then continuing to try and juggle that. Um, yeah, so I'd say those are two immediate challenges that immediately mm. come to mind when we talk about that. I think, I think it's really interesting that you mentioned there that, you know, that thing of being the only woman in the room um, is, was, a, with retrospect, seems quite hard, but you don't know why. Because I can really relate to that sensation and I still don't know why that felt quite difficult to me as, as well, probably in the same era. Um, you know, I'm from the agency side, so it's, so it's, a totally different thing um but that feeling of um i don't know i used to have a big what we now know as imposter syndrome and you know i, I used to feel maybe just people didn't really take me very seriously mm. Mm. you know yeah. i was a blonde essex girl in her 20s who's <laughs> who's gonna be paying any attention to me <laughs> yeah I, I i totally agree i also i mean i remember having some feedback as well that you know, I was just too smiley and happy and I didn't have the gravitas. And there's that sense that everything has to be very serious. You know, this mm. is business. And I and I do think, you know, there, there was that formality and that seriousness that, you know, we, we can still drive performance and, and make money and do all that great stuff. And actually do it with a smile on our face and warmth in our hearts. But that definitely didn't feel the culture um, when, when you're surrounded by yeah, a, a room full of men. I, I totally agree with that. And I think there's something, um, I've been thinking about this a lot today, something about putting on your, your professional coat, putting on your professional mask, which I believe I did, you know, for many years, I showed up as the professional. I wanted to be the businesswoman. I wanted to show that I mm -hmm. could be professional. Um, and I think then what happens as we, as we, let's say, evolve or, or as we develop, and particularly what's happened in the last four or five years, is we've become aware that we are a whole person, not just the person at work. And so mm. bringing more of ourselves into the work environment is becoming even more important. And I, I really hope that, that younger women coming through their professional careers now are really understanding that and finding space for that to be able to be their full mm. selves in the work setting, because similar to you, Miriam, I remember having feedback very early on from a male marketing director when I was a incy wincy small product manager, 
uh, telling me I had I should have more confidence. That was the feedback. And I had no idea where to go with that or what to do with that. Mm. And on reflection, that's one of the things that took me into coaching. Because if I thought, if I could help other people mm. understand what on earth that meant and how to do that and show up in that way, then I could, you know, make a difference in the world. So it, it's really interesting how those little bits of feedback really stay with us as well and, and, mm. and really cause us to, to become who we are. We're really keen to hear about this report that you've um, been working on for the last few months called Women, Wellbeing and Work. Um, and we're really keen to understand, you know, tell us all about, um, you know, what were you collecting in terms of data for the report and, and, and you know, what's the purpose? Yeah, great. Thank you. Well, so um, part of the role of the work that we do at Cognomi is to, to benchmark and to collect data to help organisations to understand levels of mental fitness within individuals, teams and organisations and to track that and look at trends and benchmarks over time. And it became very evident to us as we looked at the data that we'd been collecting over the last four or five years that there have been definite dips, particularly focused on gender differences around, for example, confidence, um, for example, women living their purpose or not, um, and fulfillment and passion and motivation and optimism have all been impacted by the pandemic. And the data we were collecting was really showing very clearly that there are particular challenges for women around those aspects, but also aspects of balance, um, and so we wanted to dig a bit deeper into that. So taking our quantitative data, if you like, but adding some more qualitative feel to it. So we we've researched amongst a really broad spectrum and range of leaders uh, across sector, including pharmaceutical and healthcare, um, but also globally, um, to look at what they are seeing in terms of trends and opportunities around women, well-being, and work. And we were very very clear when we started this, that there's so much, and even now in the, in the press, thankfully in many ways, so much being written about women at work. Um, a lot of work that we do uh, contributes to supporting women through menopause, for example, or through other transitions. And there's a lot of, of noise around it, which on one level is great, but on another level, we, you know, some people might be thinking, oh, do we really need another white paper on this? Or do we really need another report? So. Our intention was to try and look under the bonnet a bit more, really understand what's going on and why it is important to continue to keep this uh, on the agenda around women well-being at work. So we interviewed uh, 10 different leaders uh, across sector, as I said, and, and the report, the white paper is a, a wonderful coordination of their, their responses and, and summary from that. And what would you say were the kind of two, three standout things that really hit you, you know, those insights, you know, that you get when you're looking at these things, you think, oh, my God, that is, that's, that's quite something. Mm. Well, the first is perhaps relatively obvious. We've still got a long way to go. We're a long way from equity. We're a long way from um, women being able to, to make the way they want to make in their careers very often. So that, so there's still inequality. Um, and there's still, and maybe even more so, need for support of women in the workplace. Um, and added to that, and really importantly, 
a recognition, and I, and I think this is going to be so important moving forward, a recognition that uh, there's, there's a need for cultural shift, so organisations to perhaps think a little bit differently about this, by taking it beyond tick boxes and targets and policies, really baking it into culture. Um, that keeping it as, a, as an imperative for leadership, i.e. supporting women and their well-being in the workplace as an imperative for leadership. And really importantly, then what comes out of it is the importance of collaboration and let's call it a shared duty of care. So actually, it doesn't need to be entirely the organization's responsibility. In fact, it shouldn't be only the organization's responsibility. And often we come at it from that perspective because we think we need to put the policies and the strategies in place and the organization must sort it out. But what came through really clearly is the value and the benefit of enabling individual women, in this case, to, to be clearer and understand more about their authenticity, to support them, to understand who they really are, what they can contribute, and to empower them, or us, uh, to enable women to be able to be of their best and bring of their best to the workplace. So it, it requires that collaboration and that, that shared duty um, as part of that. So I'd say those are the main main aspects that, that have come out as uh, perhaps the highlights that we're, we're sharing at this point. I mean, it's interesting what you say about culture. And, and I think, um, you know, lots of companies are trying, you know, to raise the importance of, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion. Now it's it's in every you know annual report and companies are running programs. And, I, it, you know, we have lots of talks being given at work. Often they're being we've got these men interviewing other people around it in our in our company um and to try and sort of bring out some of the the things that we maybe aren't seeing the unconscious bias but at the same time I'm, I'm conscious that um you know it doesn't really seem to be working that well when you look at the literature so I know that there's been quite a few sort of assessments of the impact of these kinds of programs um, I think there was a 2019 meta-analysis of more than 490 programs involving some 80,000 people and and it just found that the um, unconscious bias training didn't actually really change the bias behavior so it just seems maybe a little bit too simplistic, like this tick box exercise that you're describing. Um, I mean, I, I, it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've got somebody who's quite senior um, that, in HR that I know, and um, her view is that women-centric programs are divisive and she doesn't really like them. Um, but at the same time, I feel quite conflicted because I'm a female leader and, you know, I'm, I'm also into coaching and, and empowering women. So I want to use my skills for good, but I feel kind of a bit blocked or un, unable to sort of bring that into the organisation. You know, so what, what are your thoughts about this? How would you suggest I challenge this or what, what sort of things do you think work? Mm. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because the first thing I would say is one size fits one rather than one size fits all. And that came really clearly in our report. So I hear what you're saying, you know, women-centric programs suggests that everybody can go through the same process and they will get what they need. Um, obviously, it depends how the program's structured and what the objectives are and, and, and everything around that. And everybody that would go through that program is an individual. So actually finding something that will enable an individual to explore who they really are 
Um, and I would say we, that could be achieved and can be achieved within a programme, but creating that space for insight so that, um, and using unconscious bias as an example, becoming aware of how that feels in me, you know, acknowledging that unconscious bias is a natural neurological process, if you like, as a starting point, and then we have choice around what we do with it. So the piece that becomes unique is my response, is my behavior, my attitude. So I need to really understand what that means for me as an individual and then put something into practice. It's not about knowledge sharing. We need to take it, I would say, from knowing to doing, actually to being, to take it into you know, being part of who I am in the world, as opposed to I've been through a training program and I now know this. It's about, about mm. changing habits. It's about changing attitudes and behaviours. Um, yeah. And that sounds like quite a personal, you know, one-to-one, something that isn't going to happen in 40 minutes. Um, or is it? Yeah. So I think personal and one-to-one is, is key. Um, you perhaps would expect that from a person who runs a coaching organisation. Um, but the value of the one-to-one conversation, whether it's with an external coach, whether it's with an internal coach, mentor, sponsor, peer, supervisor, manager, the value of that conversation to help someone become more aware and take responsibility and choice for change is 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 well researched and well acknowledged um and yeah and so really important that an individual is able to take responsibility for for how they're going to grow themselves for showing up as their authentic self um and and really being able to live their purpose and meaning in the workplace that sounds it sounds absolutely um Fantastic. And it's what every it's what everybody wants, isn't it? That's what every individual really wants to be an individual within a corporation. But sometimes you can feel maybe you have to be a certain way. I think certainly in my team, I see nowadays the younger people coming in, they don't feel that at all. And maybe that is a bit of a hang up of, yeah. of our um, of our generation because that's what it was for us Mm. and at the same time there's there's a culture that we are engaging with isn't there there are likely to be cultural norms there are likely to be ways of working or team charters that are the way that we connect with others in the workplace so there's an importance around collaboration understanding what's expected of us as well as having space to be able to to show up and and feel safe enough to be who we want to be in the workplace um yeah yeah and i think that um i think i've been wondering to myself how well agencies um you know obviously you've got the big pharma companies but all the little agencies that tend to service them you know are how how are they doing on on this um and i you know, I don't really know the answer to that. I would love it if people, when we put this out, people, you know, start to have a conversation about that. I mean, I know in my agency, we uh, we really encourage people to show up as who they are. I'm sadly a person who finds it very difficult to be uh, something else that I am not. I've been told many times when I'm uh, younger that I should try not to be myself quite so much because it's not necessarily always welcome. Um, 
But, you know, we really want people to, to feel that safety. And we have a director of happiness who um, coaches our young people and, you know, really encourages them to feel, you know, feel that they can just um, just be themselves. But maybe it is that that middle layer where it's a little bit more tricky for us. Hmm. And you touched on um, what I would call psychological safety there and the importance of that. There's so much now understood about the importance of the environment that we create within a workplace and, and the culture it always links back to culture as well. And that safe space where people feel sufficiently trusted or individuals feel sufficiently trusted to, to bring their strengths to the fore and, and really be who they are because when we are our authentic selves, we can be of our best and and give what we need to give. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think some of the bigger agencies, you know, are certainly kind of managing this a bit better. There's always room for improvement. And um, I know that there's a leader, um, a chap called Phil Bartlett at CDM, and he, you know, really um, champions it across all um, aspects mm. of diversity and inclusion. Um, and really champions this in the Omnicom group. So I'm sure there is some really good work going on out there and it would be brilliant to hear a bit more about it. Mm. And, and that touches on the concept of compassionate leadership, which uh, we're doing a lot of work around now and is very much perhaps in one way a buzzword now around leadership. We've moved from empathy to compassion, but I think for all the right reasons and the acknowledgement that you know a, a leader, and perhaps that's what you're describing in Phil, who is compassionate, is able to say, you know, what do you need from me? How can I help you? Mm. As opposed to, I know what you're going through and this is what you need to do. It's about putting mm. the individual at the heart of, um, of the growth or of the development of the conversation. Um, and, that, and so bringing that compassion into culture and leadership is, is really key. And that, again, that came through our report uh, very strongly. Mm. And do you think that in your work as a, you know, as a coaching organization, do you, um, do you find that it's easy to coach people to move away from empathetic leadership to, towards a more compassionate style? Because presumably if someone's empathetic, they, they really care. What, what that tells you is they do care, but maybe their style needs a little bit of adjustment. Mm. That, so there's something in that around how much energy it requires um, and how much uh, we're, we're involving ourselves more in the conversation than we need to when we're showing empathy rather than compassion. What I mean by that is, um, as a leader, it needs to be more about the other person than about me. And if I'm in order to, to get the best out of them, I would say, and, and to really show compassion. So if I'm able to, to show them that I believe in their potential that uh, I know they do have the answers and I'm there to support, actually it takes on one level less of my energy. So I've got more of that to give around rather than if I'm having to say, well, this is what I think you should do. And I know how you're feeling because I've been there. So do it like this. Um, there's real value and, and benefit in, in coming from that place of compassion. Um, and if you like as well, links very closely with the, the leader, I'll use the overused term, but putting on their own oxygen mask first. So self-care <laughs> uh, enables me to have compassion for others um, as well. I've gone off on a bit of a tangent mm. there, but I think that all links to compassion. That's right. I led you. I led you down. I led you down the tangent. Miriam, get us back. Get us back. <laughs> Okay, I'll get us back to. Um, so one of the topics I, no I noticed in the report was around um, the importance of networks and networking. Um, 
And one of the things I've noticed um, in my career is the power of that informal network. I mean, I've, I've noticed it all the way from, um, you know, uh, one company I worked for, the head of the business unit was really into rugby. And there was, so it was quite a kind of blokey, blokey informal network. They went to the matches on the weekend. Uh, you know, one of the women I was working with, she was sort of a rugby woman as well. So she was part of it, but you could feel like, the, the, the gap between being the in the in crowd and being on the periphery. I mean, it was just palpable, um, you know, and, and, and it could be the pub um, going for a drink after work when maybe you can't go because you've got childcare responsibilities or maybe you just, you know, not into drinking. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard about jobs literally being handed out on the golf course or opportunities. And it's really difficult because, you know, I don't, I've struggled with how to kind of bring that up without sounding, you know, bitter or a um, bit of a party pooper. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so I, you know, it was one of those things I just sort of, well, okay. You know, yeah, I guess I just sort of buried it, but you know, how, how do women break into that power base? Because with the best will in the world, you know, the way we all talking compassionate leadership and authentic and coaching and stuff, you know, if we were running the world, everything would be great, obviously, but <laughs> at the moment we're not. So, yeah. and there's a lot of the masculine, let's say, still dominating, particularly at those most senior levels, as we can see from the statistics. So, you know, what, what, what are the options for women? Mm. Great. Gosh, that's a big question. There are so many things in there. And, and as you say that, it really makes me think that what we've, what we've tried to do in the past is kind of create this social environment as our way to connect and network and, and believe that we can just bolt that onto a, a, a working environment and, and everything will be wonderful. So golf and going to the rugby is an example. And I, you know, I've, like everybody else, enjoyed those days out um, too. It's a little bit like when people go to build the team and do that by throwing everybody across a river or, or making people walk <laughs> on stilts and assuming that will be translatable back into the business actually as well, which is a whole other conversation. But I think creating safe spaces is what it's about in terms of networking, creating the opportunity to, for like-minded people to come together and be together because they feel they can trust each other and they feel safe to be able to be who they want to be in that space. Um, and, and I think the wonderful work that you're doing in bringing, bringing the Women in Pharma Network together is, is a huge part of that and, and a really important way of doing that. But creating that safe space is what it's all about and um, being able mm -hmm. to build trust then and be open with each other um, in order mm -hmm. to then achieve whatever objectives we're there to achieve. So um, I think that the other part of it is, is knowing why we're there. So if we're going to a networking event or if we're going to a social get together you know what, what is the purpose it really helps people to know what's mm. the objective of being here is it to connect with each other mm. is it because I want to you know advance my career what, what, it, what is the objective uh, for the collective but also then for the individual what am I there what do I want out of it what's the outcome mm. that I want no I was just going to say you know when in in that sort of old paradigm of um, people you know doing those doing their networking informally do you do you think that those, you know, often men, when with the intention of, you know, I can secure my new, next job here or 
um, you know, my promotion is going to be made in the pub. Because that's a bit of a, a bit of a wake up to me that that would have even crossed anyone's mind. It would never have crossed my mind. Am I being incredibly naive? I think it perhaps. Yes. <laughs> would never. <suggest laughs> but let's let's imagine that perhaps it's a reflection of um, this piece around the whole person being beyond the person at work. So that was a way of you know, showing up in as a whole person, yeah. wasn't it? To bring my my the mm. other part of me so that people can get to know that. But but now I think increasingly, and I really hope this is the case, I believe this is the case and can be more so, that if people are able to bring their whole self to work and really be who they want to be uh, in the in the organizational setting. And as you say, Sarah, you know, show up as who I really am rather than wearing this mask or pretending I'm, you know, the professional and then the rest of me is left at home. If we can bring our whole self mm. to work, then maybe there's less need to go on a golf course and get to know people that way. Mm, mm. I think we need to find a new word because I think networking, we just have this association with, um, well, women don't like it because it feels exploitative and I don't know, self-serving or um, inauthentic, you know, the things that we, you know, feel we, we want to be, we are. If we created a new word, I don't know what that word would be, but something around relationships and curiosity and, and finding common interest or something like a word that encapsulated that, I think it would sound feel and feel like, totally you know something you'd want to do um so yeah. maybe we just need to kind of re rewrite that word into something new yeah i um, think in my experience of networking in the past has been of going to a specific networking event has been that it would be quite quite gratuitous and that did not feel like a safe space to me i was mm. kind of terrified because i might talk to somebody who might say oh she's no use to me i don't want to talk to her yeah because it because in, when I went to networking events in my 20s, I, my boss took me to a few at that time. Um, it, you know, people would sort of talk to you. What do you do? Oh, I work for a charity, does this. Oh, no, you're not. No, 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 you're no use to me. And off they went. And it was this constant rejection and a um, the most hideous experience ever. Yeah. It was not a safe psychological space. Yeah. And it comes back then to, to what's the purpose of it? Why are we all in that room yeah. together? Uh, and we will have different objectives and outcomes, absolutely. Um, but it also comes back, I think, Miriam, to to how we reframe it or frame it in our minds. I, I do some um, aspiring leader pro training, just leadership development programs, and we spend time thinking about um, networking, but from the perspective of mapping stakeholders and thinking about if I want to network with this individual, not only thinking about what do they need from me but what do I need from them and what can I bring to this conversation mm. so mm. rather than feeling as though I'm taking something thinking about what am I contributing or what am I bringing um, mm. it's, it's all about the mindset I think and the way we we frame it in our own thinking as we step into that that space but absolutely right it needs to feel it needs to feel safe and we need to trust the people that we're networking with in order to get what we want and they want mm. Another sort of one of the themes that I, I noticed in your report was around the glass ceiling and, and the challenge of, of women actually getting to the top. Um, when we look at the metrics in my company, for example, um, there's, there's more women actually at the sort of lower levels. And there's quite a few once we get to the manager levels. But 
once we get to sort of director level and upwards, it really sort of flips the other way. And I, I don't know what the, the percentages are exactly, but it's much more male. And and when I look at my level, I'm I'm a VP and I look up above beyond myself to the kind of leaders of the company. I mean, uh, there's it, I, I literally I'm just like, I don't know how to navigate that. I don't even know where to start. Um, mm. And um, and then, you know, when you look around at general management roles, you know, they're often men. And, and actually, when I remember having conversations um, when, you know, when, what do you want to do next and what's your plan? And um, and I, I had never had a clue. Like, I was just like, I just want to enjoy what I'm doing every day and keep growing. And I didn't really have a sense of that. But what I knew was people had to kind of move around and, and take on these different roles and ideally move country and be very flexible you know that was kind of a critical factor but the reality was for me anyway I had kids so I'm, I was separated and divorced so you know I didn't want to take my kids away from their dad who lived around the corner and um, and I think lots of women have that regardless of whether they're divorced or not they want to kind of have a steady ship for their family as they're growing up and so it's not for everybody that they want to make these big moves and, and same for men too I'm, I know also men who are foregoing opportunities because of that so how do we how do we help here because you get to a certain point maybe finally your kids have kind of become independent and you're ready to for that stuff but you've you've got this kind of track record of having been which in in a more negative sense you could have looked like you just got stuck or whatever and maybe and you wouldn't be as attractive a candidate that's my probably limiting beliefs but compared to the men or the other people who were more flexible who could jump there and move there and and take these sort of more risks if you like um bigger bigger bolder moves in their career so what are your thoughts around this and and how do we help here how do we change things mm. So I think there's there's some things that organisations can do. And again, coming back to this point of shared duty of care, I think there's a lot that we as women can do. So if in the scenario, and that's a fabulous scenario, you know, someone has um, had their family, raised their family to the point where they're now still in the organisation and looking for the next role, which could be uh, perhaps more of a challenge. Um, there's something about how they take time to build their own confidence we take time to build our own confidence to step into that and put ourselves forward for it um inevitably going through the transitions of life for anybody but particularly the transitions that come with age and aging for women um, there are new challenges and and new challenges that that impact confidence uh, at the same time as increase the need for us to live to our purpose menopause is a great example of that um Often women become much less confident, much more self-doubting at the time that mm. the, we are going through menopause. And that may well, therefore, be after the, the children have grown up a bit. So if we can create a space to really reconnect with purpose and really embrace, support and celebrate the fact that we might have another 20 years to give to the organisation. And those mm. are going to be amazing years because we've got great experience to offer. Um, then, then we should be able to do something with that. I was, I'm, I'm doing a, a, a talk tomorrow, and I was looking back at some, um, some very old data, and, and looking back to 1835, where women had pretty much done what they needed to do by 30, and and you know had the children, and then were there to serve their husbands, frankly. 
But now, you know, women in their 50s, 60s, 70s have got so much more that we can give to organisations. Mm. So letting the organisation know that is the first thing for, for us to be able to communicate mm. that. But of course, then the organisational culture, structure, strategy needs to embrace that as well. Um, so mm. there, I'm going off on one again. But the other piece of that, I think, is to find role models because they are out there. So to look for people who mm. can mentor coach us internal or external but also role model so people that we see around us even distantly and we think yeah they've got the qualities that I want to express they're doing something I'd like to explore let me connect with them and, and ask them and they mm. I imagine invariably they'd be really happy to share experiences to help other women mm. to follow the path definitely and I'm sure coaching can help too I mean I think oh you know women tend to hold themselves back anyway for because we don't we we feel like we have to meet all the requirements of a job description and all the experience that was stated and all that kind of stuff and yeah. so probably I'm my own worst enemy or people can be their own worst enemies in terms of the the limiting beliefs that hold us back and I guess that's where coaching can be so transformational as well of just thinking why not me you know it's it's such a simple shift but, you know, the why me, you know, is, I think, so ingrained, you know, to in so many of us. Um, so, yeah, I think finding the way out of that is really important. Your comment there about role models, you know, maybe that's something that, you know, we can help facilitate through Women in Pharma by bringing people together. They might meet somebody you know, who's in a different sphere for, to them, but who has sort of done the thing that they, that they want to do. They'll hear those stories. And I think, you know, you can't, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm. And if you don't sort of see what you like immediately around you, just having those opportunities for connections, I think is something we really want to bring to, mm. bring to the world. And, and I would add to that, um, seeing it outside of ourselves, great. So let's let's look for that. But also, it might sound a bit cheesy, but seeing it within as well. So creating space to really appreciate what am I good at? What's important to me now? It might not be what was important to me 10 or 20 years ago, but what what what's driving me now? What's my purpose? What's my personal vision? And, and how can I connect with someone else to, to help me achieve that? And so creating that space, I, I would call it a coaching space, whether that is with an external coach, whether that's self-reflection, whether that's working with someone that you consider to be a thinking partner, um, but creating that space to really understand more about, you know, who am I as my authentic self? What's important to me? What's driving me? Where's my purpose and meaning? And what's my personal vision for the future? And then building confidence around how to go out and, and get that. I've got a question about mentoring. Um, I, I heard um, that mentoring programs are, have said not to work. Um, do you have a sort of much of a sense of why that is and what's your take on it? Mm. Um, so I used the term earlier um, around contracting. Um, my belief is that if a mentoring program is or isn't working, it, it really depends on the purpose of it in the first place and what the agreement and the communication was with the mentor and the mentee around what was expected. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge part of it. You know, what, what, what's the purpose? And when we say it's going to be a mentoring relationship, what do we actually mean that to be? Because there is, you know, there's, there's uh, numerous definitions, perhaps, of what that could mean. Um, so that's mm -hmm. really important. 
how we contract around the relationship is key. And then the chemistry is really important. So making sure we're mentored by or mentoring the, the right person. So if we want mentoring because we want to learn how to be a better marketeer, then it makes sense to have someone who has marketing experience to be that mentor. Um, mm. Assuming mentoring is about giving advice and you know mm. ex, uh, sharing our own experiences. Um, so I'd say it must it would depend how it's set up and then who the individuals are that are engaging in the relationship. But it can absolutely mm. work well when those things are are in place. Mm. And and, and how so, do you, oh, go on. <laughs> and so the kind of other side of that is that if you've got a mentor who isn't inspiring you, then have the courage to say it. Yeah. yeah. And look for someone yeah. else. Find a new one. That's quite hard, isn't it? If someone's given up their time, it's not easy to have that to have to be brave and say that kind of thing. But um, it seems like the other side of the coin to me. Mm. Well, and also, I think what you said about contracting. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you go, Kate. A courageous conversation is really important because you know, if if we're being mentored by someone and we're not getting what we need, then they're probably not doing what they wanted to do and and providing value in that so let's you know build the trust and have the conversation that enables us to say you know I'm wondering if there's another way we could do this or or how you you know asking them for feedback on how it's going how do they feel it's going rather than expecting their relationship to be the mentor telling the mentee how things are going mm. I mean I'm curious about exploring mentors for myself but um probably like not in my own company you know how mm. how would you recommend someone go about finding or asking someone to mentor them um particularly even if they might not know them yeah well and this is where networking comes in again i would say formal or informal networks into that i would say linkedin is a fabulous place to try and find that kind of uh, individual uh, to look outside of your own organization but but using using networks such as women in pharma um to be able to to create relationships into other organizations so if there's a particular role that you're looking to be mentored by or a particular area of functional um work in an organization or indeed a specific organization or disease area whatever it is there's all sorts of ways that we can find out who might be operating effectively in those spaces um, yeah, either through informal networks or LinkedIn, I'd say, is a really good place to, to look. Mm. And then I think what you said was great around contracting. Um, I think when, I, when I've in the past been given a mentor, like I didn't really know what I was supposed to do with them. And they mm. obviously wanted me to do something significant to show the power of their being a mentor. Mm. And, and that there was probably not a good match around my expectations and understanding of the role of them and their maybe vision for what I could be, which didn't align with my own, you know, yeah. um, plan or whatever. So it just sort of felt a bit awkward. And I think maybe that's left me with a bit of a, oh, I don't know, I don't know what to do with this mentoring business, oh. but I like the idea of it. <laughs> well, Kate, I think you are 
a woman who is very full of wise, wise uh, words. And we do tend to get sort of um, older and, and, and wiser as, as, we, as we travel through um, life. But just one last question. If you could go back in time and give some advice to your younger self, what would it be? Um, so I'm going to go back in time to, to when I was 22 and uh, that uh, marketing director told me I should be more confident. And I genuinely would go out and find myself a coach to create that space of understanding within me. So whether that was a, you know, an external coach or someone that could be a trusted advisor and trusted partner, thinking partner for me, I'd, I'd get someone to help me think through what's important to me. What's my personal vision, my personal purpose, and, and how can I show up in the world the way I want to show up? And actually, what, what does build confidence and how can I really appreciate my strengths and uh, the qualities that I bring to build that even further? That's what I do. Oh, amazing. I think you've been, I'm sure you agree, Miriam, an amazing guest, giving us loads and loads of things to think about. And uh, I don't know, I'm sending you sort of super good uh, vibes on your on your mission to improve the mental fitness of the planet we're willing you on thank yeah, you so much. yeah exactly when well, um, <laughs> looking forward to seeing the report in in the press or print or whatever the right terms are in this looking digital age but um cool thank you so much for joining us today thank you it's a pleasure thanks for listening if you haven't done so already why not join our linkedin group the Loose Women in Pharma podcast is a Women in Pharma production.